0: Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the All Weather Fan. My name is Sam Dingman.
1: This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid.
0: Baltimoreans.
1: Hello, Baltimoreans. How
0: are y'all doing? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. To episode 83 of Baltimoreans, the show that, like Dan Duquette, might seem at first glance to be asleep at the switch, <laughs> but is in fact doing a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes to bring you a quality product. We'll actually be joined by Dan Duquette himself a little bit later this hour to discuss the Ubaldo Jimenez-shaped rabbit he has recently pulled out of his stylish fedora.
1: A lot of questions for Dan.
0: Plus... In just a moment, in keeping with this week's theme of the front office signing Mercurial High Upside Free Agents, we'll bring you our most popular recurring segment, the Marty Cordova Franchise Report, wherein we give you our thoughts on the latest news from Birdland and beyond. And there is a bit of news this week.
1: I also think that the um, that the Marty Cordova Franchise Report is a really great high ceiling for the Umanis signing to shoot for. <laughs> yeah. You- <laughs> How much do you know about Marty Cordova?
0: <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that will change. If you're in that boat, ladies and gentlemen, that will change. Oh my God, where are we? We will, of course, conclude the show with this week's seventh inning sketch in the form of a personal essay by yours truly, but as you regular Baltimoreans, listeners well know, none of that is going to make a lick of goddamn sense <laughs> without the necessary context, which
1: my esteemed colleague Alan Smith is here to provide. So here is the context. Episode 83 happens to be the same number as the iterations of the rules of baseball that Mr. Alexander Cartwright, a member of the New York City Knickerbocker Club, went through before settling in 1845 on the well-known practice of bat and ball that we know so well today. Unfortunately, most of the previous iterations have been lost to the mists of time But we do have a few of the drafts, uh, which I have managed to get my hands on in preparation for this show, including a version um, that was one of the earlier iterations wherein a batsman, wearing a stylish riding boot that Cartwright seems to have borrowed from the current fashion trends in English nobility of the time, used a thin bat about two inches thick to smack the urch, which in this case was a particularly poor person who had been conscripted by the team before the game. The batter would, through a series of whoops and bludgeons, attempt to herd the urch out of the infield and onto the outfield grass, whereupon three catchers would attempt to grab, hogtie, and conscript the urch into their favorite industrial enterprise. Depending on where the man chose to run, of course, would result in different catchers being more pleased with the batter, and tradition had it that one of them would then remark, a pint for you, sirrah, which would later devolve to... Point Another fragmented version of the game, which seems to have been entitled Waddle and Waggle, describes a series of ever more absurd motions that a runner was forced to perform as he moved in a square around a central figure on the opposing team. That central figure stood on a mound of dirt and flung things, from insults to tomatoes to small rocks, designed at keeping the runner from advancing to complete the square. This version must not have polled very well with Cartwright's friends, else how can we explain the time-honored current baseball tradition of having a ball thrown at your head for exhibiting anything like joy or creativity whilst rounding the base pads in the modern game? And finally, a more recent variation called sixes and sevens employed many of the same rules as the eventual game that we all celebrate, but used a bat which is shaped like the state of Florida, which had been introduced into the Union earlier that very year. The bat, called the Ole Seminole, or the Brave, fell out of favor because batters, on a particularly aggressive follow-through swing, had been known to reach around and hit themselves in the groin or head. And the only other difference, of course, between sixes and sevens and baseball as it is currently played was that everyone playing sixes and sevens had to be part of the secret order of the Freemasons and could only communicate via complex secret handshakes, a tradition which you see in many dugouts in Major League Baseball today. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the number 83. Um, and we can only imagine the iterations of this great sport that sadly are lost to time.
0: Alan Smith, are you uh, are you aware of what you've done in your customarily brilliant intro? I am not. You have come up with the ideal tagline <laughs> for this program. I'm going to repeat it back to you, and there's no way you'll disagree. Okay. A series of whoops and bludgeons. <laughs> yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Baltimoreans, a proud member. <laughs> Of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, where you can find us alongside our marvelous sister-wife podcasts.
1: www.baltimoresportsreport.com network.
0: Each of the programs in the network provides its own unique perspective on sports and culture in Charm City. One thing you won't find on those other shows, however, is the Marty Cordova Franchise Report. That is a Baltimore Ons exclusive, and it's coming up next. (laughs)
1: Welcome back, y'all, to the one and only Marty Cordova franchise report, wherein we tell you about the three biggest stories from Birdland and beyond, and then subsequently assign them the customary rankings from strikeout to home run, or anywhere in between. Not that Orioles fans are in need of any word of caution after this offseason, but it is worth noting that Marty Cordova came to Baltimore in 2002 following a bounce back season with the Cleveland Indians, wherein he recaptured some of the prospect shimmer of his youth only two post-pedestrian numbers for the Orioles for one season before suffering a career-ending elbow injury. All right, first up this week, Sam. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but over the weekend, the Orioles did agree to terms on a deal with free agent starting pitcher Ubaldo Jimenez. Jimenez will earn about $50 million over the course of four years, representing the largest commitment the club has ever made to a starting pitcher. Sam, your thoughts? This Alan Smith is a rain delay.
0: <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you why it's a rain <laughs> delay. Because it's time to stop and think. Hmm. That's what we all need to do right now. Okay. Now let's 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 put aside Ubaldo Jimenez for just a moment. Okay. Because the fact is nobody knows how good he's gonna be next year. All of the major talent evaluators agree that he his true talent level is somewhere between the dominant nineteen win season he put up mm-hmm. for the Colorado Rockies. Mm-hmm and the atrocious 2012 season that he posted for the the Cleveland Indians. His true level is probably somewhere around last year, which, if that comes true, is very good for us. Fine. But this is not about how good Ubaldo Jimenez is. No? (laughs) This is about Dan Duquette Ah. being unquestionably a force for good in Baltimore. (laughs) And that being something that we have all been mind-bogglingly willing to to forget mm. over the course of this admittedly very difficult offseason. Let's just have a quick conversation.
1: Okay. A national conversation, A national if you will. conversation here on the Marty Cordova <laughs> franchise, franchise Report. Report. <laughs> Which stretches, of course,
0: to all corners <laughs> of the United <laughs> States. This is Dan Duquette's record since he came to town. A 93-win okay. season. Okay. An 85-win season. Last year he traded for Bud Norris and Scott Feldman. Those were exactly the upgrades that we need. Those seem to be the best pitchers available on the trade market. And we went out and we got them for so, the
1: stretch run. So we're, we're forgiving him for Michael Morse.
0: We're not, we're not here to talk about Michael Morse. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rain
1: delay. Okay.
0: Michael Morse we is somewhere some singing Abba in the shower.
1: <laughs> uh, no longer in uniform, not in the stadium. <laughs> we also know that this
0: off season, he tried to pull a trade for Shelby Miller that's true. He made competitive offers for Gavin Floyd and A.J. Burnett, both both of whom are pitchers that would have been as good or better than Ubaldo Jimenez. That's true. And it's not really his fault that the team those teams decided not to make those deals with us, slash those players. But the other thing we need to keep in mind is that that 95-win season and that 85-win season came when we gave the following individuals significant major league playing time. Now, you mentioned one of them, Alan. Mm. His name is Michael Morse. Yeah. Dana Eveland. Yeah. Chris Dickerson.
1: <laughs> hey, I like Chris Dickerson. How do you feel about Lou Ford? Um... How do you feel, Alan, <laughs> about Bill Hall? Yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> so
0: I guess my point is, before we, we start running around all willy-nilly, proclaiming that Dan Duquette has no idea what he's doing... Let's, let's look at the very real facts on the ground, which are that he's been aggressive, where he feels like he can be aggressive, and the small-bore moves that he has made, by and large, we have found a way to get some use out of them. That's true. That's true. So, I think that the Ubaldo Jimenez deal is just the next step in that process, and not, as it has been portrayed a little bit over the last 48 hours since the deal was made, something that's completely out of the blue— or totally unprecedented for Dan Duquette.
1: That's fair. I think that's very fair. Um, I was going to give it a home run. Goodbye, home run! But only uh, not thinking about it in the context of the legacy of, of Mr. Duquette, who I'm looking forward to speaking with later on in the program. He will be here. But um, the m- more just in terms of what it does to the particular offseason acquisitions we've already made this year. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, because suddenly... When you look at the Aceves signing, when you look at Let Us Not Speak of It, (laughs) when you look at the um, Yoon signing, those sorts of things begin, instead of being desperation gambles where we need them to pay off, instead, what those become are long term rolls of the dice. Yes. That probably don't need to pay off for us to have a good season because now instead of being slotted into the five, they are competing for the six. Or the first man off the bench when someone gets injured for short periods of time. Which just makes me feel a lot better about the whole proceeding. And I think, you know, this is something that uh, Jake English has been on, I think, for a while over at Birdseye. Which is that these are not bad moves, except for they're the only moves. Yes. (laughs) I just think it goes back to what you were saying, is that in Dan Duquette we must trust.
0: We must trust the Dan Duquette dust. The pixie dust that he... (laughs) flings (laughs) around over major league castoffs it may or may not be dandruff we're not sure (laughs) it sounds to me like what you're saying is uh you it's okay to have a lot of people competing to be your josh stinson indeed as long as josh stinson isn't your only josh stinson (laughs) to use the parlance of our times item number two on the marty cordova franchise report this week alan smith according to multiple reports published on the internet today Uh uh-oh Dan Duquette, who, as you just
1: heard, is my personal hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in line for sainthood here at Hunany Studios.
0: <laughs> well, he's the only person from the Orioles organization we've been able to convince to come on the show, <laughs> which goes a long way in my personal liturgical book.
1: Is that? I've seen it. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's an impressive book, Baltimore Runs. Illuminated Manuscript. And Eritain. Uh, yeah, so Dan
0: <laughs> apparently uh, is not finished. He right, is right. still in on both Nelson Cruz and Kendris Morales. Hmm. Alan Smith, of those two gentlemen, who would you prefer?
1: Well, uh, I, I'm afraid that by the time this actually gets to air, I'm going to have to eat these words because I think we're probably going to end up signing Nelson Cruz. It seems to be the way that the internet is headed. Ah, I don't like it. And I much prefer Candace Morales. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give the Nelson Cruz signing that I think has just happened when you're listening to this, Baltimoreans. Bold. Bold. A weak ground out to second. (laughs) Because I think in the post-steroid era, Nelson Cruz's numbers are going to plummet back down to earth. Yes. And we're going to see a Melky Cabrera 2 in the American League East. And I don't think that's what you want to uh, put your marbles behind. Or <laughs> nope. What nope have let's you. <laughs> leave it like you said it. I think it's better that way. <laughs> That's for the best. What's your ranking of the Kendrick? Pick a pick a pick a player and then rank him.
0: Okay. I think I think we're gonna pull through. I think we're gonna get Kendris Morales. Okay. Um. I don't think it's a home run. No. 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 Uh. I think actually that it is a line drive to the the right field corner at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, sure. rattling around by the garage door over there, that should be a triple. But because but, it's Kendris Morales, will only be maybe a long single. <laughs> but it's going to drive in some runs. That's all
1: right. It's all right. Three RBI single. There are some reasons
0: that I love Kendris Morales that have nothing to do with his baseball skill. Okay. The first one is that if we sign him, I would like to call... Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the Morales Palace. <laughs> I'm not going to back down from this. I may even do it if he signs with a team that we play <laughs> at Oriole Park. Oh dear. Because we should have signed him. Yeah. We've already lost one draft pick. I'm happy to flush the other one down the toilet. Yep. And yeah, as somebody else pointed out, it gets easier and easier. It's not like we've gotten a tremendous amount of value from our first-round <laughs> draft picks <laughs> over the years.
1: It is true that the first-round draft pick uh held by the Baltimore Orioles franchise seems to be worth significantly less in cash dollars than the first round draft pick held by, say, the Tampa Bay Rays.
0: <laughs> Good night, Adam Lowen, my sweet prince. <laughs> Good night, Brandon Snyder, my sweet prince. Uh,
1: May a choir of angels sing thee to thy double-A berth.
0: Enjoy the donuts, Matt Hobgood. I just, just get away.
1: Yeah. Get yeah. away. Right. Um,
0: I would rather have somebody who is going to reliably hit 270, with 25 home runs and drive in 80 RBI
1: over the life of a three-yard contract. Thank you very much. Our third and final item on the report this evening concerns Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and their owner, Artie Moreno, who, according to a recent report in the Orange County Register, I don't know if you saw this, Sam, is frustrated about the city of Anaheim's unwillingness to finalize negotiations on what he claims are $125 million of necessary renovations to Angel Stadium. While Moreno stopped short of threatening to move the Angels elsewhere in 2019 when the team has an opt-out clause in its current lease, he did say he has, quote, kept an eye on what's out there during the current negotiations. Sam, what are your thoughts? This, Alan Smith,
0: is a failed squeeze bunt. (laughs) And I will tell you why. Uh, If you're Artie Moreno and you have given out two of the stupidest free agent contracts in baseball history
1: Yep, <laughs> to
0: Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton you have gambled big and you lost fair and square, you have lost uh, maybe you could argue that it's too early to call either of those contracts a total loss but uh, three years in that's a lot of wasted money Yep. and what I think is abhorrent about this is that he is using this made-up issue of a worn-down stadium to distract the fans from what's really going on and he's not just using it to distract them from what's going on he's exploiting them because he's saying if we don't get the stadium fixed i'm going to have no choice but to look at other options for where to locate my team no choice and the thing is if i'm a fan I don't give a flying fish about the stadium. And would you like to know how I know that, Alan? Because the, <laughs> the Los Angeles Angels, Angels of Anaheim were third in attendance in the American League last year. Yeah. Third.
1: People so are coming.
0: People are not concerned by these this supposedly decrepit stadium. Right. What you have here is a guy who made billions in the advertising industry, and he's worried about his rep, and he's worried about his bottom line. And when you have bottom-line-driven
1: egomaniacs running professional sports teams, this is the kind of idiotic conduct that you get. I think it's—I think, um, unfortunately, the rating that I'm going to have to give it, though, from from his perspective, is it's a hard-earned uh, walk. Mm. He fell off a bunch of pitches and drew a walk because this is exactly textbook out of the playbook that every single owner ends up using. And, yeah, we can sort of, like, say with outrage now that this is happening— but I bet you if we track this over the next four years between now and 2019, it comes up three or four more times and he just sort of drops it into every conversation and every time it changes a little bit and it looks a little bit different. And what he's essentially doing is priming the pump and this will continue to come up and it will continue to come up and eventually Anaheim is going to cave because they don't have a football team. And, it, you know, that that's that's how these things operate. And um I think it's disgusting and frustrating, but it is, as far as he's concerned, just sort of putting in the legwork now for an eventual realization of cash down the road in a couple years.
0: Well, I think Albert Pujols is a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I wish him worms in his... uh, (laughs) Surgically repaired heel. (laughs) Surgically (laughs) repaired heel. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Well... Actually, uh, there's one final item that I neglected to tell you about uh, oh, really? here on the Martyr Cordova Franchise Report, which is that I'm proud to announce that I have taken up home brewing. I'm doing it right here at Hootenanny Studios. It's huh. a pretty exciting time for me, as you can probably imagine, and uh, I actually have to go because I need to sanitize my fermenting jug. Um, I'm really hoping to have my first batch ready for opening day. So, folks, I'm actually going to leave you in Alan's capable hands for this evening's interview with Dan Duquette, who we are, of course, very... Sam what? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I actually forgot to tell you about this also, Alan. Um, Are you cool to to handle the Duquette interview while I go sanitize the old jug? (laughs) I I promise that's not a euphemism. I
1: mean, I I, I have done it before, but do you actually have to go do that right now? Kind of actually in the middle of, of recording...
0: Sorry, uh, it's just—it's kind of a critical stage in the process, so I'd really love to get it taken care
1: of. And he's gone. God damn it! Morons, we're very excited to bring you yet another interview. With the Orioles executive vice president of baseball operations, who joins us tonight in the wake of his historic agreement on a four-year deal with Ubaldo Jimenez, which has sort of, in one fell swoop, mended the hearts of quite a few Orioles fans who were beginning to grow frustrated with the,
2: Dan uh, um,
1: Dan, Dan,
2: are you on are you on
1: the, are you on the, are you on the line?
2: Hello, Alan. I didn't realize we'd started rolling.
1: Oh, that's that's quite okay, Dan. Um, You know, I'm actually less concerned about the singing and more worried about what appears to be uh, water in the background. Are you at sea?
2: As a matter of fact, I am, Alan. I'm currently standing at the helm of the USS Bannable House, There is, I sometimes refer to it privately, my gloat boat. I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of this, but I have a deep and enduring passion for sailing, particularly during moments of personal triumph.
1: I was not aware of that, Dan. But, you know, I suppose you cannot be blamed for a little bit of celebratory sailing. Uh, after this deal you've agreed to with Ubaldo Jimenez, it would seem to dramatically alter the terrain of this offseason for the Orioles. I imagine you're feeling somewhat vindicated?
2: Oh, Absolutely. I understand that fans were frustrated with the pace of my work this winter, but I hope they can also appreciate the constraints under which I'm forced to operate. You may have read Nick Cafardo's report earlier this week, which indicated that I've agreed in principle to a deal with Kendris Morales, but Mr. Angelos will not authorize the finances to get the deal done.
1: I did indeed read that, and I must say, with a little bit of dismay.
2: Well, that's not the half of it, Alan. Peter Angelos' power has driven him insane. This whole media perception of him as a stingy, evil overlord has gone directly to his head. Are you familiar with the phrase, sing for your supper?
1: I am familiar with that phrase.
2: Well, were you aware that no one in the warehouse is allowed to do so much as visit the coffee machine without first stopping in front of Mr. Angelos' office to perform a selection by 1950 songwriting duo Rodgers and Hammerstein.
1: That that can't be true, Dan.
2: I had to do Edelweiss six times to get him to loan me the company Amex to take Ubaldo Jimenez's agent out for frozen yogurt. Angelo swept like a child on every single chorus.
1: Dan, is, is he, okay, you make him sound like a monster, but is he at least giving you an instrumental backing
2: track? It's a good thing I'm blessed with this naturally mellifluous voice, but that's not the half of it. You don't even want to know how he delivers inter-office memos.
1: So I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's something besides email?
2: Oh, you bet your buttons, my friend. Each and every communication is delivered to our desks in the mouth of a Galapagos tortoise.
1: Jesus, that's terrible. Aren't Galapagos tortoises on the endangered species list?
2: Worse yet, they're slower than Matt Breeders trying to score from second base on a double. I bet you thought we lost out on re-signing Scott Feldman because we were willing to pay the asking price. Oh no, it took six hours for my counteroffer to make it down the hallway. We got outdid.
1: Well, you know, I think in this case that's okay, Dan, because I think I'm actually happier with Jimenez in the long run. Speaking of which, you know, Sam and I really feel like we owe you an apology here. You know, we spent a lot of time on the airwaves this winter, assuming you were delusional enough, to believe that the likes of Francisco Piguero and David Loch were going to make meaningful contributions to this year's team. But, Don't
2: sleep on Piguero. He stole 22 bases in 2009 for the Northwest League's Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes.
1: And I'm sure his mother is very proud. But look, I feel like I owe you a second apology because Sam isn't even here. He can't apologize himself because he bailed on the show about five minutes before we got on the phone to work on his homebrew.
2: Sweet, innocent Alan. It's just Sam is too scared to tell you the truth. You see, the only way Mister Angelos would allow me to talk to you tonight is if I promised to send someone to cover my shift, lighting his cigars with checks from the Mid Atlantic Sports Network.
1: So, so you're telling me that that's what Sam is doing right now? But I thought that Peter Angelos hated smoking. Didn't he make his millions in part by suing tobacco companies?
2: And I thought he became the majority owner of a baseball team to win championships for the city of Baltimore. It's as reason I signed here, Alan. It really is. And I hope your listeners can understand that I'm doing the best I can from beneath the thumb of deranged deranged tyrant.
1: Well, you know what, Dan? I completely understand. I really do. And I don't even begrudge you the occasional jaunt in a boat with a cringe-inducing pun for a name.
2: Alan, um, uh... Look, there, there's something I should confess to you. I'm not actually on a boat.
1: You're not? But, Dan, I've, I, I hear water in the background, and I've heard water in the background for this entire interview.
2: I, well, I, I'm at the Baltimore Community Swimming Pool with my rubber ducky, whose name, incidentally, is Dardanian. I could never afford a boat on the meager salary Mr. Angelo's pays me.
1: Oh, my God. that's That's really deeply sad. But, okay, so everything else you have said over the course of this interview is the real deal, right? That Jimenez deal is actually going to happen? Oh, oh, God, Dan, please don't tell me that agreeing to terms on the deal with Ubaldo Jimenez is actually just a really well-timed PR stunt to goose ticket sales before the season, and you're not going to turn around and say he failed the physical so Peter Angelos can avoid spending money but still claim he tried to upgrade the team. Oh,
2: I, I better go, Alan. That, that's my waiver wire along. It appears that Doug Glanville has expressed interest in a comeback. Also, a uh, D'Artagnan wants to get home in time to watch Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives with Guy Fieri.
1: But D- Dan, Dan, wait, wait, come on. You have to answer that one question. Tell me it's real. And he's gone. My goodness. Well, that was, that was just deeply terrifying on a number of levels. Listening to Baltimore the home of the All-Weather fan. Um, I'm Alan Smith, and for this week's 7th Inning Sketch, our own Sam Dingman shares a very personal reflection on his early experiences with the sports page. Some of you may not remember the sports page. It was an actual physical page in an actual physical newspaper. Hard to believe, I know. But in an off-season when it has seemed all too easy to consider this Orioles team dead on arrival. The sports page reminds us that it was not so very long ago that we had no choice but to take things one day at a time.
0: Summers in Wellfleet, my dad would wake up every morning at 6.30, coughing and stumbling from behind the thin wooden door to the master bedroom, out into the uncertain glare of the rented living room, scratchy with cheap linoleum and salty canvas drapes. He would sink, in unflatteringly small yellow Patagonia jogging shorts, deep into the recesses of a mottled floral couch, emitting a hump as he bent to lace each Asics sneaker. A final hup, and he was upright, suddenly more suave in his tiger's cap and L.L. Bean prescription sunglasses. I know what it looked like because I watched it all, every morning, quietly, seated in one of the spindly metal dining chairs by the picture window, squinting at my father through the knifing dawn, holding my champion sweatshirt patiently in my lap. My own shoes long ago double-knotted. I watched the Asics carefully as he worked the clutch and brakes on the station wagon, marveled at the daintiness of his fingers as he worked the knob of the gear shift, didn't even notice the softness of the light over the harbor as he eased us downtown for pastries and coffee at Uncle Frank's, where he told me the tattooed geezers were aging pirates swapping tales of the high seas, and bought me a t-shirt once which read, Death by Donuts. Eventually, we'd proceed to the Wellfleet General Store, and again I would wait, while he selected a copy of the Cape Cod Times and considered acquiring additional donuts before slipping the newspaper into an unneeded brown paper sack. I followed him back to the car and watched him drive us back to the cottage, where others had stirred and were fussing about coffee. My mom and her sister wondering what kind of sandwiches everyone would like to bring to the beach, my brother patiently turning over cards from a tarot deck and making notes in a composition book, my uncle sunbathing on the deck until his skin broiled, a sleepy grin on his mustachioed face, and my father at the dining room table. The paper spread wide before him, pouring over the box scores. Eventually it would be my turn. In the meantime, there was no way to know what had happened back in Baltimore the night before. There were no easily searchable web video highlights, no way of knowing the facts of what had transpired until I opened the paper, having made my father swear not to betray the results in his face, and found it all revealed to me in black and white. The final score. The updated standings, the pitcher's records, the careful tabulation of runs, hits, and errors, neatly captured in little boxes, rendered in a sensible font with no serifs. Baseball felt more like a story then, perhaps because it had to be. Unless you'd been there or watched it on TV, This was your only way of knowing what had happened. This magnificent presentation, after the fact, an attempt to capture in words and figures the intricate complexity of everything that had occurred. It was a physical record, a daily manifest of just how rich and multifaceted this passion of mine could be. When I was done reading it, I had to physically fold it up and dispose of it. It wasn't simply washed away in the timeline of a Twitter feed, or push slowly towards the sponsored links at the bottom of a web page, hovering just above a phrase like seven things about asparagus that might terrify you, before it disappears into the bottomless archives of the Evernet. The manifest had weight. It was a presence in the day. Today we can capture so much more. The daily manifest is no longer needed. So the scope has broadened, enabling the capture of statistics that illustrate trends my father never dreamed of. The chapters in the story aren't measured in innings anymore. A spreadsheet has calculated the likelihood of every possible plot twist before a pitch is thrown, and suddenly the games themselves seem like an ever more insignificant part of some larger mechanism with an uncertain function, churning out a perpetually expanding trove of charts, graphs, and 20-second video clips preceded by 30-second ads for phones to view the clips on. Entire seasons rush past, and it becomes difficult to remember how it used to feel when we got to hold on to things a little bit longer. Eventually, I figured out that the geezers at Uncle Frank's weren't actually pirates, but rather old gay men, clucking with resentment at the encroachment of yuppies like my parents on their former Bayside Refuge. Eventually, I learned to pick my eyes up from the pedals in the gearshift and focus on the road itself. Eventually, I came to realize that my father is a fallible man, who knows how to drive and where to find good donuts, but not always how to show love when it's needed. So I'm grateful that he taught me how to love baseball and how to hold on to things for the brief moment that you have them.
1: Sam Dingman reflecting on how baseball uh, should, in some ways, still be viewed, I think. A lovely set of thoughts.
0: Not to be uh, not to be too regressionist, <laughs> but, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, you can take your instant replay and shove it. Um, <laughs> we do have a correction for you this week. Um, listeners to this program might well remember intern Scotty, ah. our plucky young volunteer who would comb through our old versions of podcasts and check our facts for us. Um, Well, you haven't heard from intern Scotty in a while. No. Because he graduated from high school, and he has headed off around the world with a one-way ticket in hand. So you can imagine my surprise, Sam, when a piece of parchment arrived in my mailbox yesterday. I was wondering what that was. With a series of charcoal scratches on it from young Scotty, which means we're featuring a new segment this week called Where in the World is Intern Scott Diego? Scott writes... Hello from the beaches of Kuala Lumpur! I couldn't help but notice that in this week's episode, number 82, Bring in the Professionals with Ben Lindbergh had an inaccuracy in the introduction. You stated, I guess you being me in this case, that the 82 errors in the eventual 16-15 game were, in part, because of the sandwich board ads that many players were forced to wear in support of U.S. war bonds. However, in 1939, America had yet to begin to sell war bonds, which began in their voluntary subscription status in the fall of 1940. Well. That's a critical miss there, Smith. Yeah. You know, it turns out I I went back and looked. Uh, Scotty is correct. As usual. Yeah. I checked the historical archives, and in fact, the posters in that game that day had been sold to our plucky English allies from across the pond and included such classics as Lend to Defend the Right to Freedom, Save Your Way to Victory, and War Savings are War Ships. So thank you, uh, Scotty, for taking time out of your vacation to catch that little mistake. I, I also uh,
0: would like to make an apology to Scotty. Uh, until we received this this letter from him, right? I thought his last name was The Intern. <laughs>
1: I had no idea his last name is Diego. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I didn't know it except for the return address on the envelope. In Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, postmarked Kuala Lumpur. Well, here's to you, you intelligent little scamp. Also, man, great turnaround time, Scotty, from uh, from listening on the beaches to getting us a piece of snail mail from Kuala Lumpur. Well, Very impressive.
0: He, he's always been a little bit more organized than we are. Yeah, and enterprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen... This Errors and All has been Episode 83 of Baltimore Ons Our program is written and produced by Sam Dingman and Alan Smith And today we featured the music of Marshall York Who wrote and performed our theme song Town Hall, whose tune working for another song You heard leading into the Marty Cordova franchise report Weather Report, who performed the song Birdland That we play between segments An obscure little group called U2 Whose song Mysterious <laughs> Ways Ushered us out of our interview with Dan Duquette and here on the outro, it's kicking my heart around by the Black Crows.
1: So Sam, yes sir, what do you call Henry Rudia when he is consuming an Indian curry dish popular in the region of Gua? Henry chicken
0: and or lamb vindaloo Rudia, and uh, I believe you meant a Indian curry dish popular in the region of Goa Rudia. For the
2: Stop kicking. Me.